0: This is episode number 16 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, Individual Number One is President Donald J. Trump. <laughs> I am your host, John Ziegler. We're broadcasting, as always, from Los Angeles, California, distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the brand-new bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him and his administration. The liberal mainstream media, they have clearly lost their minds. They cannot be objective. They're often very wrong about him. And the conservative now state-run media has been compromised and basically completely co-opted. We, however, here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been co-opted. We hope you've enjoyed the first 15 episodes of the program. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Join our over 11,000 Twitter followers at our Twitter handle, which is Individual One Pod. That's Individual, the number one pod. This uh, particular episode, number 16, promises to be something special, largely because... Episode number 15 was a borderline disaster, uh, largely because of uh, you know the essence of my life, which is always if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. We taped episode number 15 literally just before uh, Attorney General Bill Barr released his summary of the Mueller investigation into Russian meddling in the 2016 election. To my credit, I predicted correctly during the taping of that episode number 15 that it would be released the moment we dropped the episode, which was right to within like five minutes. That being said, in my defense, episode number 15 held up exceedingly well uh, under the circumstances, considering, again, that it was done before Barr had released that uh, now highly controversial summary, which I'll get to momentarily. A lot of that episode dealt with two things. Trump is going to be perceived as a big winner here. And what about obstruction of justice? And I'm going to talk a little bit about both of those two concepts today, as well as this new Barbara Bush book or book about Barbara Bush, which uh, is getting an awful lot of attention, understandably so, because of her comments about Donald Trump. We'll get to that a little bit later on. But we are loaded for bear today. And much of this will be focused on the aftermath of the filing, not the revealing, but the filing of the Mueller investigation into the Russian meddling of the 2016 election. Now, to be clear, uh, if you've been listening to this podcast or reading my columns on Mediate for the last several months, you know I was not surprised by the general conclusion. Although a lot of people who don't necessarily uh, listen to the podcast or read my stuff— we're still somehow ripping me. This is interesting. I, I got a lot of people, I don't know what the number was, but in the dozens of people contacting me after uh, Barr's summary was out there, basically saying, Ziegler, when are you going to apologize for having bought into this great hoax, this great myth of Russian collusion? And I'm like, dude, hold on a second. Uh, you know who you're talking to, right? I mean, I, for months now, for months now, I don't know exactly the date that I started making this my mantra, but my mantra on this whole Russian investigation w- was as follows. If there was collusion, which I don't know if there was, Mueller's not going to be able to prove it. It's clear he hasn't proven it from the other indictments and the sentencing involved. That's that's number one. Number two uh, I'm the guy who has been saying Robert Mueller is going to disappoint a hell of a lot of liberals. He does not go around with an S on his chest. Uh, he is not James Bond. This is a real human being who is limited by reality. Uh, and he had been turned into a god by the, the most of the liberal media – to the point where I thought they were going to be exceedingly disappointed in what he ended up being able to prove, which is a key phrase here. What is true and what can be proven by a special counsel are often two very different things and may end up being the situation here. The part of this equation that really baffles me is that uh, Donald Trump in December of last year tweeted three times about an interview I did with Michael Isikoff, the co-writer of Russian Roulette, because he thought it made a great case for there not being collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign. Uh, and, and so it's just it's very bizarre to me that a lot of the cult 45 uh, Trump supporters have been uh, attacking me as somebody who needs to apologize for having been wrong, apparently, about this issue of Russian collusion. Nothing could be further from the truth. I love the poorly educated. Uh, But I guess nuance is dead. I guess in their minds, if you're anti-Trump, especially if you're an anti-Trump conservative, you must have bought in fully to the whole Russian collusion uh, scenario, which I never did. I was open to it because there was a heck of a lot of smoke, much of it due to Trump's own mistakes, and maybe by his own willful uh, purposeful strategy which I'll get to in in a little bit but it, it's a, it's bizarre to me the the level of spiking of the football before we even know anything not one word about the Mueller report has been made public all we have is a four-page summary and there's celebration on the side uh, of Donald Trump which is frankly, bizarre. Uh, I mean, in a normal world, in a normal world where we could trust the attorney general and we could trust the president of the United States to be telling the truth, this would be the end of it. And you'd go, okay, uh, this was a big uh, misunderstanding. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. This cannot be uh, underestimated. Thank goodness our president is not a Manchurian candidate, is not apparently under the thumb of of the Russian government uh, did not collude with Russia during the election uh, and uh, you know this was just one of those weird quirks of fate that the way everything turned out it just warranted this investigation. With me it's just works you know it's magic. Uh, But we don't know. And we don't live in that world. That's the sad part. We don't live in the world where we can trust that the president couldn't be so delusional as to spike the football in the way that he is and not have the actual data back up that conclusion. We don't live in a world, unfortunately, where we could trust the attorney general to properly summarize In four pages, a two-year, incredibly extensive investigation that resulted in the indictments and convictions of many people very, very close to Donald Trump. Let's just review his national security advisor, his campaign chairman, his personal lawyer, his original effective campaign manager in Roger Stone is still facing... Um, charges for his involvement with WikiLeaks, and that probably is the part of this that is most confusing to me, and I'm sure other observers as well, as to how Mueller's report could be so definitive on collusion, at least according to Bill Barr, when Mueller is in the process still of uh, uh, apparently going to trial on, against Roger Stone, with regard to his, quote unquote, collusion with WikiLeaks. Now, WikiLeaks, we have been told time and time again, is effectively a a Russian front operation. And Stone, for all intents and purposes, I mean, my gosh, he's been Trump's longest political advisor. And at the very beginning of the campaign, he had an official position and then he left it. So, That to me is one of the biggest questions on the collusion issue. How does how does Mueller square that circle? That I don't. And 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 this gets me to Barr, because there is a scenario, and I I hate that we even have to go down this path. We should not have to go down this path, because frankly, we're better than that. Well, unfortunately, we're not. Uh, But we have to go down this path. Where wait a minute. There's what Bill Barr is saying and how Trump is reacting, which in a rational world would say, OK, case closed. Mueller basically found nothing on obstruction. He didn't exonerate, but he couldn't prove it enough or at least he decided to punt and let Bill Barr decide, which is also bizarre, which I'll get to that in a moment. but." that should, in a rational world, be the end, mostly the end of this. And, you know, we'd be curious enough to find out, okay, I'd like to get some of my other questions answered and and feel good about, uh, you know, what this was all based on. But we don't live in that world. And, you know, one of the things I, I question, because we have to in, in, the, in the circumstances that we have, given the nature of this presidency and this administration, one of the things I question in the four-page summary that Barr provided, is this notion that there was no collusion with the Russian government. Okay, I buy that. But is Barr making a distinction there between the Russian government and WikiLeaks? That, to me, is possible. We don't know that. Could possibly not be the case, but it's certainly rational. If you look at this from the perspective of Barr trying to put out a four-page summary that is as positive for Trump as possible, he after all, he is his attorney general, and he was hired under highly suspect circumstances and has numerous conflicts, including the fact that his own son-in-law works directly for Trump. So if if you if you presume that Barr has a self-interest, which he does, to put as much lipstick on a pig as possible. That makes some theoretical sense that, okay, there wasn't in basically, uh, you know, based on the technical conclusions of Mueller, that there was not direct collusion between the Russian government and Trump. But there may have been, or at least theoretically there seems to have been, unless there's something we're missing about the indictment of Roger Stone, some quote unquote collusion between WikiLeaks and Stone, which rational people could argue is essentially the same thing but that you know the collusion element is not the part of this that I'm most focused on because I've never felt like that was ever going to be proven if it even actually happened partially because it's such a difficult thing to prove especially by the way from when Trump's involved a guy who is street smart enough to not use email the guy does not use email. He's, he's like the last person on the planet that does not use email. Well, email in an investigation like this is one of the few ways you can prove something. Well, Trump doesn't use emails. And so, you know, when you consider the incredibly high threshold for proving a case like this against the president of the United States... Uh, A sitting president, especially, who has all sorts of powers that no one else on the planet has, like, for instance, the pardon power, which makes people far, far more hesitant to turn on him and far more willing to to bite the bullet because they they think, well, in the end, I'm going to be okay. And we don't know if that happened or not. So I've never, even if it happened, I've never been confident you could prove it. I'm also not confident that it happened even before Mueller's conclusion or apparent conclusion that it didn't, largely because it seems to me from the evidence that, that one, we never got that quote-unquote smoking gun, and two, it feels like there was more hesitancy on the part of Russia for there to be collusion than there was for the Trump side of this equation. I have made the analogy—I did this in my Michael Isikoff interview that Trump tweeted about three times— I said, look, this looks like it was a, a budding romance, ie, the Trump Tower in New York meeting in, in June of 2016, where maybe the Trump side was more interested in hooking up than the Russian side. And the Russian side decided, you know what? Trump, Trump really can't win. And do we really want to piss off Hillary that much if she's going to be the next president? And frankly, you know if we hook up with these Trump people, we might get an STD. I mean that, that's that's what it feels like looking at the evidence. So I'm perfectly willing to accept that, okay, Mueller decided that there was no proof or strong evidence of quote-unquote collusion between uh, Russia and Trump. I do have that WikiLeaks question that I would like to have answered uh, eventually. But I've also said many times that it's quite possible that Trump purposely set the goalposts at collusion because he knew that Mueller couldn't reach them there. So that was why that was the mantra. No collusion, no collusion, no collusion, no collusion, no collusion. Because theoretically, if there was collusion, Trump would know about it, right? <laughs> and if he knows there's no collusion and you know you're being investigated and you know you did some things that, that are highly uh, inappropriate, unsavory, potentially illegal, and you've got a couple of lies that you're trying to protect, like for instance, The fact that you were uh, spending much of the 2016 campaign, if not the entire 2016 campaign, negotiating a potential Trump Tower in Moscow, which I think is the essence of this whole story, which I've been saying for quite a while, ever since we learned about that. That, to me, is the essence of this. That's, to me, the core sin or lie, if you will, that Trump is trying to protect. And that's why so much of his behavior seemed like that of a guilty man. So... If you presume that, then I think you have a scenario here that, that makes some sense. Again, obviously, I'd like to see the, the full report. But when it comes to obstruction, there's a lot of reasons why you obstruct or potentially obstruct. And this notion that Mueller did, quote unquote, did not exonerate Trump on obstruction now, that is a, a phrase through which you could drive a Mack truck and Barr could still be telling technically the truth and be misrepresenting the nature of the Mueller report. All right. And that's an important point. And I want to I want to emphasize that again. Think about this, folks. If, if the premise that Barr is trying to shade everything as, as positively as possible for Trump is true, and that's it's certainly logical given his position and how he got it and all the conflicts that he has. If that's the case, if he's trying to shade the the Mueller report in favor of Trump, then this is exactly how you would do it. You would put out a a four-page summary. You would delay on putting out the the full report. And you would use phrases like not exonerated because Let's pretend—we're going to pretend for a second that this theory is correct, that the obstruction case is actually very strong against Trump. Because I've said time and time again that it is very strong. So let's pretend that that theory is correct, that there's, there's a, a whole bunch of obstruction evidence that, uh, that, for whatever reason, Mueller decided to punt on to bar. And Barr decided effectively on his own, although supposedly with Rod Rosenstein, which is ridiculous. The idea that, the idea that Rod Rosenstein is uh, going to step in when he's about to leave. I mean, his, his, his key card barely works at the Justice Department. And he's going to somehow step in and say, no, 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 Attorney General, you're not going to do this because you're misrepresenting the Mueller report. I mean, come on, people. It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, so let's – Rosenstein is irrelevant. To me here, but uh, if we presume this possibility that uh, Trump that Trump is being done a big favor here by Barr and putting the most positive spin on this, and you use the phrase "not exonerated," think about what falls under "not exonerated." Almost anything would be you know that doesn't result in an, an indictment could be referred to as not exonerated i mean like i said that is a loophole through which you can drive a mac truck of evidence i'm not saying that that's the case but the public record already suggests that it could be now let's go to which i'll get to more in, in a minute but let, let's go back to Barr's conflicts here and i have to say this process has been so incredibly strange and so indicative of how everything in our society is broken. That we never, ever get to the bottom of anything anymore, no matter how important, no matter how much media focus. No, you know, you would think that this was one thing that we could get to the bottom of. You put Robert Mueller on a two-year investigation, basically unlimited resources, all these indictments, all these convictions, all these guilty pleas, and here we so far only have a four-page summary. That's strange if Bill Barr was completely unconflicted. But the Bill Barr story, it's amazing to me, given the reality here that even the left-wing mainstream media has effectively, not totally, but as effectively gone, oh, I guess that's it. I guess it's over. I guess we were all wrong and we should move on really, really without seeing the full report we're, so let us go through this let's go through the scenario of how Bill Barr came to be in this position so Jeff sessions is is the attorney general for donald Trump his first major endorser during the campaign, a very popular senator from Alabama. He holds the line on Trump's biggest issue, which is illegal immigration in a way that, that no one else would. And all Trump does is crap all over him. He craps all over him for well over a year. Why? Because he blames Sessions for allowing the Mueller investigation because Sessions recused himself from all things Russia for a number of very valid reasons. So Sessions does the right thing by recusing himself and gets crapped all over by President Trump. And then the day after the 2018 midterm elections, Sessions is fired. Now, I have to say of all the developments related to the Russian investigation, The most underrated is the firing of Jeff Sessions, and it's a testament really in a weird way to Trump's genius and his understanding of how the media works and how the public is so incredibly uh, short attention span and fickle and we move on because he had effectively threatened to, to fire Sessions for such a long period of time by the time he did it the day after the election when there was all this other news and he held that bat crap crazy press conference no one batted an eyelash well first of all you're firing the attorney general the day after an election an election the attorney general had nothing to do with zero that right off the bat should theoretically uh, be a controversy if not a scandal it the day after the election, when you've been bitching about him recusing himself from the Russian investigation, there's only one explanation. Much like with James Comey when he fires the FBI director because of how he was handling Russia, as Trump himself said to NBC's Lester Huld he was essentially saying the same thing about Jeff Sessions. He fires his attorney general the day after the election and no one says boo because we're all so focused on the election results and that in that crazy press conference, and it's already been baked in the cake because we already knew. Well, it, it's kind of like if someone says for months that they're going to murder someone and they finally do it, does that somehow alleviate the, the shock or the outrage of what happens? And obviously, it's not exactly a murder, but it was a political murder, and no one cared, not even his own base that used to love Jeff Sessions. Well, so Jeff, Jeff Sessing is fired, and now we need a replacement. Well, the temporary replacement was this goon, this, this Matt Whitaker guy, who was not qualified. And all of this sets the stage for Bill Barr. Well, who's Bill Barr? Bill Barr has been in mothballs for many years. <laughs> he's, he's from the, the Bush years and has you know, basically been sitting on the couch and... All of a sudden, he writes a memo in 2017, I believe it was two, late 2017, something in that in that range. He writes this 19-page or so thereabouts memo to Trump. No one asked him, that, as far as I know, to do this. He does this proactively, ripping the Mueller report and making the case that the President of the United States effectively can't be charged with obstruction of justice for doing The duties of his job. Now, all of a sudden, after this memo, Sessions is fired after the election and who gets the job? Bill Barr. And oh, by the way, not to get all a conspiracy person because I hate conspiracies and I'm not a conspiracy person, but I do believe in conflicts of interest and I do believe in people pursuing their self-interest. Bill Barr's son-in-law works for you guessed it, Donald Trump. <laughs> so, I mean, holy conflict of interest, Batman. So so you get Bill Barr out of mothballs after he writes this anti-Mueller memo. He gets the attorney general's gig just in time for when the Mueller investigation ends. It gets put on his doorstep. He writes a four-page summary absolving uh, President Trump from any uh, kind of crime with regard to Russia which is what he says Mueller concluded which again I'm perfectly willing to accept with that one caveat question about WikiLeaks and then he decides that while not exonerated again you could <laughs> wow what a loophole that is I mean anything you want fits under not exonerated especially when you're the arbiter you're you're the one who's making the decision that I have decided that since uh, Robert Mueller has not made a decision, when we don't really fully understand why that is, since Robert Mueller hasn't fully made a decision on the obstruction elements of this, I have decided, supposedly along with Rod, uh, Rosenstein, uh, Rosenstein that, uh, that the obstruction charges do not meet the threshold for an indictment of the President of the United States. And so, you know, that's it. Uh, the president is exonerated effectively. That's how his people and and Trump himself has have described this total exoneration. <laughs> but <laughs> how amazing is it that even when Trump is pseudo, so to, you know, sort of exonerated, pseudo exonerated, but but his own attorney general specifically says not exonerated on obstruction. That Trump has the gall to go out there and claim that this is a 100% total exoneration. <laughs> I mean, that's as classic Trump as it gets. Even when spiking the football, he's still lying about what his own attorney general has said. But the decision to decide that this did not meet the threshold for obstruction with regard to the president's involvement in this investigation, to me, is flat out bizarre and uh, absurd. And, uh, and, I, and, Before I get into that, I do want to make one other point on this issue of of Barr's uh, conflicts, because I think the best way to to put this is if you reversed all the political circumstances here, can you imagine how conservatives, how, uh, you know, the Republicans in the House and the Senate and specifically how the so-called conservative media, people like Sean Hannity, and uh, people on Fox News Channel, talk radio. Can you consider for a moment how they would react if Hillary Clinton had won the presidency while losing the popular vote? She wins the Electoral College on an inside straight. We learned that Russia was helping her campaign, which, by the way, Mueller did conclude that that's exactly what happened, so I'm glad we're accepting that. (laughs) Uh, finally but so hillary uh, wins a very close election loses the popular vote russian help russia helps her there's a two-year investigation into her campaign by a democrat by the way a democrat investigates her campaign for two years hands the results of the investigation and a final report over to her specially chosen attorney general whose son-in-law happens to work directly for her. And then that attorney general releases a four-page summary (laughs) with some cryptic wording regarding not exonerating her and not having colluded with the government of Russia. And then the uh, liberal media says, okay, that's enough for us. Let's move on. Nothing to see here. Can you imagine the level of insanity that would ensue on the right? People would be going bananas. Sean Hannity and Mark Levin and Rush Limbaugh and a whole bunch of other people on Fox News Channel, their heads would explode under those circumstances, and understandably so. And it's just so bizarre to me. Again, I want to emphasize, it is quite possible, maybe even probable, that when we finally find out if we ever do, and that's still a big if, what's really in the report, that it 100% backs up Bill Barr's summary. I actually hope that's the case because I don't want to be living in a country where we can't trust the Attorney General to properly summarize a report of this magnitude. But when I look at the facts I have to go, wait a minute, hold on with regard to obstruction, because the case for obstruction in a rational world is overwhelming. And I wrote a column about this for, for Mediate, which you can find if you just Google John Ziegler Mediate and click on the news uh, section of Google. Uh, uh, but um, the, the, the reality is that there are all sorts of things that Trump did to obstruct justice during this investigation, Some of the highlights are, yes, the firing of James Comey, but this has been misunderstood. This has been misunderstood by everybody. It's apparently been misunderstood by Bill Barr. It might even have been misunderstood by Robert Mueller. It was misunderstood by Ken Starr, who I confronted about, about this several months ago at the Reagan Library here in Southern California. Here's how everyone misunderstands the firing of James Comey. As president, he is absolutely allowed to fire the FBI director. 100%. But the firing of James Comey proves that the statements Trump made to Comey before the firing, specifically, I need your loyalty and I want you to go easy on Mike Flynn, those statements become obstruction the moment Comey is fired. Especially when Trump says on national television, It was over his handling of the russia investigation so right there that's obstruction it's not the firing it's what the firing says about the statements made to comey which comey preserved contemporaneously so that's number one but there's so many other things and i guess the biggest misunderstanding and it's, it's bizarre to me that supposedly very smart legal minds could not understand this. But the biggest misunderstanding here is we're not talking about a normal human being, an average citizen who is being investigated and he's claiming witch hunt and no collusion and you know tweeting all the time and making uh, very derogatory statements all the time and uh, being supportive of defendants in criminal cases and, and ripping the prosecution in criminal cases like he did in the Paul Manafort case, even going so far as to effectively, I believe, tamper with the jury because he was doing so during deliberations when the jury was not sequestered. Clearly going on the side of Paul Manafort, clearly attacking the, the federal prosecution, attacking our intelligence agencies and their credibility all these things, as a normal citizen, might not be obstruction of justice. Why? Well, they're just expressing their First Amendment rights, freedom of speech, blah, blah, blah. But when you're President of the United States, the context is completely different because you have the pardon power. You have the power, which Trump clearly dangled in front of a couple people involved in this, you have the power to absolve anybody of a federal crime at any time. You also have the power to effectively, for all intents and purposes, hire or fire anybody within most of the federal government. Now, those two things right there create enormous power in your words. Far more power than an average human being because it's obvious that when the President of the United States supports someone who's under fire in an investigation and is being pressured potentially into flipping on him, that that literally obstructs the investigation. There are other things that Trump did. Like, for instance, and there are people who disagree with me on this, but I, I don't care because I, I feel like I'm right on this. Trump promising to do an interview 100% he said, he'd do an interview with Robert Mueller, but then not doing an interview with Robert Mueller and not just not doing an interview, but purposely delaying his answers to Robert Mueller in written form as long as he possibly could. And I believe strategically so. And by the way, to Trump's credit, or at least his lawyer's credit, incredibly intelligently so. I mean, because having Trump do an interview with Mueller would have been a Disaster. Trump would have clearly perjured himself even if he didn't need to. But the delay in providing the written answers, I think, allowed Trump to avoid even that potential for perjury. And I'll say it again, I believe that one of the most untold stories in this whole deal is I think Trump in waiting to provide his written answers effectively meant he was the one that flipped on Michael Cohen. Not Michael Cohen flipping on Trump. I believe that Trump realized that the Trump Tower Moscow lie was no longer viable and stabbed Cohen in the back after Cohen had lied to Congress about that having ended in January of 2016. I think Trump probably told the truth on that, and he was probably the one the one time Trump was ever really happy to tell the truth in a situation that theoretically should have harmed him because he was stabbing Michael Cohen right in the back. It's you know, I would love to know more about the evidence surrounding Michael Cohen's uh, perjury and whether or not he felt as if Trump's lawyers suborn that perjury. We'll probably never get to the bottom of it, even as simple a concept as it is. But to me, the, the lack of an interview and the delaying of the written answers, that obstructed the investigation. And it's amazing to me, one of the things that's happened since Barr's summary that's gotten almost no attention is that one of Trump's lawyers went on national television and said that they will fight any effort for Trump's written answers to be made public. Now, how does that make any sense if Trump is exonerated by this report? Seriously, people? It's just flat out ridiculous. This, these are the written, an- not even not even the testimony, the written answers, which are effectively written by his lawyers, his lawyers still won't allow those to be made public? Why? Why? Well, I got, several, possibilities, but the number one that pops into my head is I think Trump acknowledges the full extent of the Trump Tower Moscow project. And I think based upon Rudy Giuliani's statements several months ago, I think Trump tells them that this happened all the way through to the end of the election, which I, again, I go back to this as being the core issue in all of this. I think Trump never thought he was going to win. He was hoping to leverage the Republican nomination into Russia, taking him seriously enough to where he could finally build this Trump Tower in Moscow. And then when he won, it was like, oops, well, I guess we can't do that because even that's too far over the line, even for me. And that's when it finally ended. And it, it would certainly make a lot of sense if Trump's written answers finally exposed that for sure. But the idea that the president is going to get away with not having, first of all, not having the full Mueller report released, which my understanding is it's not going to be. And and it's going to be, you know, supposedly weeks, not months before whatever the hell else they do release of it finally does become public domain. But the idea that his written answers, written answers are not going to be part of that or that they're going to at least fight that. That, to me, blows apart the notion that you can take credibly this idea that the Mueller report, quote-unquote, exonerates Donald Trump. But let's get back to the obstruction. So there's all these things that Trump did. I haven't even gone through the whole list because under obstruction you could argue a lot of things that Trump did that for a normal person would not be obstruction when your president absolutely is obstruction of justice. But this, this idea that somehow... Trump didn't have ill intent or that ill intent could not be proven. This is a big part of Barr's philosophy here in deciding that, uh, that Trump would not be indicted for obstruction of justice. This is absurd. This is dangerous. Uh, this is nonsensical, in my view, because the, uh, the concept is, well, because there's no underlying crime that the obstruction is about. In other words, you're you're not obstructing the ability to find out about a crime because supposedly that crime didn't exist, i.e. conspiracy with Russia. That somehow, therefore, you can't prove obstruction because you can't therefore prove intent. Well, that's juvenile. It's borderline imbecilic because here's why. This, again, is not an average human being. This is the president of the United States in his first term of office. That means he is the ultimate political being. He's going to run for reelection. election He is the party standard bearer. Everything surrounding him has enormous, quite obviously, political ramifications. That means he has a vested interest in keeping secret damaging information. Damaging information like the fact that he spent the entire 2016 presidential campaign trying to do a land deal with Russia and lying about it. That's the damaging information. Now, the irony here is Trump probably underestimated his own cult in realizing that that information wouldn't be that damaging to him. (laughs) Because after all... I love the poorly educated... So I think Trump underestimated that he could get away with that. I think Trump actually thought, you know what, uh, I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, but if they find out that I was doing that, that's going to be trouble. That was probably an incorrect assumption on his part. It was understandable back when we were living in the rational world. In the rational world, that is game, set, match. In the rational world, that's the Republican Party revolts and he doesn't even get the nomination in 2020. But I fully realize we don't live in that world. So here's what the ill intent was, Bill Barr. The ill intent was: uh oh, Robert Mueller's gonna investigate Russia for two years. He's gonna find out that I was trying to build a Trump tower in Moscow throughout the entire campaign, right up until the moment I won. That's the ill intent. It's not difficult to figure this out. That's the ill intent here, and 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 Barr effectively is treating Trump like he's a child, which he is in a lot of ways. But you know, it's kind of like you know I have a two, almost two year old at home, and the two year old will oftentimes you know hit mommy or daddy or her sister and. You know, the the excuse always is, well, she didn't really mean it. She doesn't know what she's doing or it was an accident or whatever. And, you know, effectively, we're determining no ill intent. (laughs) That's basically what Bill Barr is doing with Donald Trump. (laughs) Well, you know, we can't figure out his intent because he's just a child. While also simultaneously giving Trump all the benefit of the doubt that a president would get with regard to the burden of proof and the threshold for evidence. Which, by the way, I agree with. This is I, I do agree that you know whether it should be a lo- by law or just by the way human beings work is is up to uh, debate. But I totally get the idea that yeah, you make sure that the evidence is rock solid if you're going to go after the president of the United States on something like this. I get that, especially when there is no provable underlying crime that is being obstructed. I get all that. But unless Mueller has some truly exonerating information, and, Mueller, and and Barr describes in the summary that Mueller effectively made both arguments in the report, the argument for obstruction and the argument against obstruction. Now, my guess is Mueller was just trying to be fair there. My guess is Mueller probably put in all of the stuff that that I have described and others have described as, wait a minute, this this really obstructed the investigation, and then probably put in a whole bunch of other stuff as, well, but the president does have the right to fire his own FBI director. Yeah, but that's not the point. It's not, again, it's not the firing of Comey. It's what the firing of Comey says about Trump's own statements to Comey before the firing that are, obstruction. It shouldn't be that difficult to understand. So, look, I have obviously great suspicions, especially on the obstruction situation, as to what's really going on here with Bill Barr. Whether we're ever going to find out for sure, I don't know. I don't have any confidence in that. And I, I really do wish we lived in a world where I could look at this and go, well, Barr wouldn't put himself in an embarrassing situation by overstating or understating, depending on your perspective, uh, Mueller's report. He wouldn't do that. And our president and the people around him wouldn't be dumb enough to spike the football to the level that they are unless they were sure that it really was a legitimate exoneration. But the facts and the records show that we don't live in that world. We don't. It's it's pathetic, it's sad, you know. I, I do wish that we're better than that, but we're not. That's where we are, and you can't you can't suddenly forget that you're dealing with Donald Trump here. And let's be clear about what Donald Trump, what his philosophy is on lying, or deceit. His entire philosophy on lying is lie or deceive today, and by the time anyone figures it out, if they ever do, they will have moved on and they won't care that much. That's his entire philosophy, and it has served him exceedingly well, especially as a politician. Now, Bill Barr is not Donald Trump, but Bill Barr is in his position because of one man, Donald Trump. And Donald Trump chose him for that position clearly because of Bill Barr's position on Robert Mueller's investigation in general and specifically his perspective on obstruction of justice. Bill Barr works for Donald Trump. Look what Donald Trump did to Jeff Sessions, for heaven's sakes. If he did it to Jeff Sessions, he can do it to Bill Barr. So I don't think it is hardly a stretch. It is hardly a stretch that what we're going to find out in this report is going to be significantly not I'm not pretending it's a total whitewash, but these are nuanced concepts and the way that they are portrayed, like, for instance, with phrases like not exonerated. Yeah. I mean, how's how's Mueller? The people are saying Mueller would be screaming from the rooftops if Barr was misrepresenting his report. Really? First of all, this is a guy who made one statement, one statement during the entire investigation about a BuzzFeed report, which he shot down. And I got to tell you, I have some um, concerns about Mueller from a number of perspectives, but one of them is if there really was no evidence of collusion, then why the hell didn't you leak that sooner, Robert Mueller? I mean, for the betterment of the country, the betterment of the president, the betterment of your investigation, Mueller did Trump a huge favor here, by allowing all of this pro-collusion speculation to go on and on and on and on without being tamped down. Huge favor, and I've written about this extensively, that Trump, no matter what Mueller found, had already won the expectations game because the expectations game was that Trump was going to be proven to be a Manchurian candidate for all intents and purposes. So anything short of that was going to be a disappointment, and Trump would win the expectations game, which he did, at least so far, in a huge, huge way. But there are people saying that Mueller would never allow Barr to misrepresent his report and not say anything about it. Number one, like I said, it's not Mueller's style to say anything about anything. Number two, how do you argue with not exonerated? I mean, (laughs) what would Mueller say? I mean because technically that would be accurate that that would be accurate under almost any circumstances not exonerated covers anything you want so i guess i'm just so baffled as to how it is that the media and i i have a theory as to why it is my my theory on the media is that they're now they're snake bit they touched a s- stove and they think they've gotten burned maybe they have been burned they clearly have been burned to some certain degree And now they're afraid of the stove and they don't want to go back. And, you know, the early returns on the ratings indicate, much to, I'm sure, Donald Trump's joy, MSNBC's ratings this week have tanked. The Monday after the summary summary came out, Rachel Maddow, who's been more prominently on the collusion train than anybody else, she lost over half a million people in her audience. She went from number one or number two to number six. In one day, on a day that in theory, and this shows you just how much people prefer to watch what they want to hear and don't want to watch what they don't want to hear. Good news or, or news that they, they enjoy is going to be a, a far greater magnet than bad news. Uh, so liberals don't want to hear about uh, Trump's alleged exoneration. But, uh, but more importantly than that, you know, I think it goes a little bit to maybe she's lost some credibility with their audience, but more than anything, it's a signal to the media that, okay, the audience has moved on. And that's unfortunately how these decisions get made. It's not about the truth. It's not about what's important. The media makes decisions based upon what's a hit and what's not. And part of why the the media overplayed their hand on Russian collusion is that for a long time, the story was a hit. The narrative was a hit. The miniseries was a hit. Now, why was it a hit? It was a hit largely because it played into a lot of preconceived notions of the of the audience, of anti-Trump people, of media members. Everyone saw it through a particular prism. In a weird way, I think this is a lot like the JFK assassination. The JFK assassination has been completely blown over history, largely because people can't wrap their brains around the concept that you know, lone loser, a nut named Lee Harvey Oswald could kill the president and create the most traumatic moment in the in the modern history of America to that point. And and certainly the first massive, tragic, traumatic national moment on television, which, of course, exacerbated the impact And so in their minds there had to be a larger reason for this a larger explanation there has to be a massive conspiracy to explain it well there's a very similar uh, case to be made that for non-trump fans the 2016 election was basically the kennedy assassination where your 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 entire worldview has been disrupted you know you're 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 there's a shock to your system and you need, one, an explanation, and two, you need hope that this horrible thing that has happened could be reversed at any moment. And that was, I think, the, the drug, if you will, that, that fueled a lot of the Russian hysteria, this notion that we could erase this horrible moment from our history that we could explain the inexplainable, how Donald Trump became president of the United States. We could blame it on a foreign adversary. And if we could prove it, we might be able to get rid of him before the four-year time limit. That, I think, was the essence of of why this narrative took off. Plus, it's an incredible story. I mean, it's it's sexy narrative. Uh, you know, it's James Bond like. Uh, you know, you couldn't make a movie about this. You couldn't make a movie. Um, so I think that's a large part of why the media has apparently blown this in big ways, and they deserve a lot of criticism for that. But this idea that somehow Trump uh, deserves an apology? <laughs> now, come on, people. It's just flat out ridiculous. This all happened because of Donald Trump's own actions. The narrative that Trump was wronged here is, is, as Charles Bartley says, flat out ridiculous. This was his fault. This was the opposite of a witch hunt. If this was a witch hunt, Robert Mueller would have made sure that he at least got Trump on obstruction. Why didn't he do that? Well, because he wasn't actually involved in a witch hunt. That was all bullcrap. The witch hunt narrative was bullcrap because Trump needed to discredit Mueller. Now, why did he feel like he needed to discredit Mueller? And this is the part that I, even I, was too naive. I I thought there's no way Trump's going to get away with blasting Mueller for over a year and then embracing his conclusions as an exoneration. I thought there's just no way that that kind of hypocrisy will be accepted. And over time, I realized, actually, Zig, you're wrong. (laughs) That kind of hypocrisy is really par for the course in 2019. That's just normal behavior. Colt 45 members who have been saying that Mueller's a, a you know a rogue prosecutor on a witch hunt. 17 angry Democrats are going to try to take down Trump in a coup. All of a sudden, saying, "Well, Mueller said it, so it must be true." In fact, we don't even know Mueller said it. A summary of what Mueller said, a four-page summary, says. That it's true, so it must be. We trust Mueller, really? Seriously, that's the world we're going to live in right now. Are you not entertained? It's all so ridiculous. It's so absurd. Everyone's such a damn hypocrite on every side of the aisle—Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. Everybody's a hypocrite. Everybody is wrong. That maybe is the number one lesson of this whole thing: is everybody's awful. There's nobody I think more highly of at the end of this thing, or where we are currently, if you want to call it the end, than at the beginning. Not one person. Not even Robert Mueller. I think less of Robert Mueller based upon what we currently know. But he was not involved in a witch hunt. That's obvious. So, look, the bottom line here is that Trump won. Did he deserve to win? We don't really know yet. And will there be some backlash later? That's still to be determined. So we'll keep on this uh, on the individual one podcast. But I I think that there's a lot of things that are are not being articulated publicly that hopefully you've heard in this podcast that are really important and that I hope uh, people won't forget about. And this notion that after two years we're just going to just move on because a four page summary was put forward by Bill Barr is is asinine to me. Uh, I hope we find out what's really in the report and I hope that the conclusions are true. I really do. Cuz I don't want to be living in a country where our president isn't exonerated of these kinds of uh, charges or at least isn't, you know, is found not to be guilty of these kinds of charges. I don't I, I don't want that. And it's certainly not cause for celebration that he wasn't indicted. That's not uh, exoneration no matter how you slice it. that's getting away with stuff because you got lucky or you hired the right people as your attorney general or they just couldn't prove it or what have you. That's not cause for celebration. Now, in our our many moments, I at least want to mention that there's a new book out about Barbara Bush (laughs) where uh, she blames her heart troubles on uh, Donald Trump and his election and his presidency. She says before she died that she does not consider herself to be a Republican. And she even kept a gift that she received of a Trump countdown clock, in other words, a clock counting down the number of days and hours until uh, Trump is out of office, on her bedside until she died. My first thought when I heard that was, how much does Donald Trump want to tweet something to the effect of, hey, Barbara, the countdown clock uh, struck zero on you, but not me. Uh, and you know Trump wants to do something like that, and who knows? He might still by the end of the day. With Donald Trump, you never know. But uh, I think the second thing that I thought of when I, I read these headlines about Barbara Bush is none of that's really surprising. Barbara Bush was a uh, tell like-it-is kind of person. The Bush family has a lot of class, something the Trumps do not have, or certainly Donald Trump does not have. Uh, they respect the institution's They value honesty, things that Donald Trump does not. But I do wish, and I said this at the time, in fact, I went on Glenn Beck's show about a month before the election, and I said uh, that I really hope that the Bush family will strongly consider coming out and unendorsing or disendorsing or anti-endorsing Donald Trump. And people at the time said, well, you know, that wouldn't really have much impact because obviously Trump had defeated Jeb, and it'll look like it's uh, a vendetta against Trump and sour grapes. I get all that. But one, it would have been the right thing to do. And number two, I, this was such a close election in 2016 that I got to believe that especially in Florida and, uh, and, and maybe Wisconsin and Michigan, that those kind of places, if they flip, and it wouldn't have taken all that many votes for that to happen. There has to be enu- had to be enough people at that time before he's president, before he's a true God, before he slayed the Wicked Witch of the West in Hillary Clinton. There had to be enough people that would go, wait a minute. If the whole Bush family is telling us this is a bad idea, maybe we should take a pass on this and maybe just not vote. And but regardless, though, so it would have been the right thing. And I'm disappointed that the Bush family did not do that. I understand why they didn't. In in their view of what's right and and protocol and what have you, but it was a mistake. They probably didn't do it because they didn't think that that Trump was going to win. And I and this one of the more interesting things about this um, what we've learned since the election, and this and this drives me crazy because this is the kind of thing where Trump benefits from his own lack of morals. I do believe that part of the perfect storm of what happened in 2016 is that because Trump was saying the election was rigged, remember this? It's rigged, it's rigged against me. The whole system is rigged against me. This was one of his mantras. Because of that, and because President Obama thought that Hillary would win, I think that he was holding back and urging others to hold back, like for instance, the Bush family. I don't have proof of this, but there's been some reporting on this that they were consciously saying, all right, we need to prepare for Trump losing a close election or a semi-close election. And that under that scenario, we need people to be able to come forward with their powder dry and say, stop it, knock it off, Trump lost. And there's so few people who might be respected among Republicans to make that that they make that stand, to send that message. People like a Condoleezza Rice, people like the Bushes. You know, there there are a few other people in that very small group where there would be people who would be willing to come out and say, this election is over, Trump lost. Those people, in order to be effective in that role, had to keep their mouths shut during the election. And that could have also been part of why the Bush family decided to hold their fire. When it could have potentially mattered one because they thought he was going to lose and two they wanted to be there in case of a national crisis that trump would have easily been capable of creating if he lost a close election and 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 that'll be my final point for for this edition of the individual one podcast i think we're headed to maybe the most bizarre point to this point of this this trump odyssey i think that when trump runs for re-election Let's say Trump loses, which is certainly no certainty. I think if Trump loses in 2020, it is going to end up being a, uh, um, a seminal moment where all of these Trump sycophants in the media and in Congress are going to have to make a choice. Because it's going to be determined by the cult that if you don't say the election was rigged against Trump, then you are a rhino. You are not a real Republican. You are not someone who can be trusted. And that's going to be an interesting Waterloo. Because I actually, as bizarre as it is, I actually think most of the conservative media, if not all of it, and most of the Republicans in Congress are going to have a very, very difficult time with that, especially if it's remotely close. And that's where you might get into a real crisis. What, What we averted, at least temporarily in 2016, may still be coming in 2020. On that very happy note, that'll do it for this edition of the Individual One podcast, our percentages for whether or not Trump will serve out his first term and be erect, be reelected have changed slightly. Not very much because I was not surprised by the overall conclusions uh, that are summarized by Bill Barr uh, from the Mueller report. But I'm going to put down the percentage of uh, Trump not finishing his first term all the way to 4%, an all-time low for the Individual One podcast, and his percentages for reelection at an all-time high now, at 45%. And this is not just because of his big W, at least so far, on the Mueller report, but also because it's becoming very clear to me that former Vice President Joe Biden, who has by far the best chance of beating Trump on paper, is just not up to this. It looks like he's going to run But based upon his apology for having called Mike Pence a decent guy and yesterday he apologized again for his role in the Anita Hill hearings and essentially apologized for being a white guy and he did nothing to uh, attack Trump for his uh, ridiculous statements about John McCain, who was a very good friend of Joe Biden's, clearly because he was afraid of this narrative of him being friends with Republicans, hurting him in a Democratic primary. All these things together have made me come to the tentative conclusion. I could still change my mind, but that's the reason for the, the 5% uptick in Trump's re-election chances. I just don't think Biden's up to it. I don't think Biden's up to winning the nomination. And if he somehow survived the death by a thousand cuts in a democratic nominating process, you don't beat Donald Trump by apologizing. You got to go after Donald Trump uh, with with the ability to punch back and punch back hard uh, and punch back correctly. And being weak and being old and appearing impotent is not going to cut it, uh, either in the primary or the general. So. On that also incredibly uh, uh, pessimistic note, that really will do it for this edition of the Individual One Podcast. We'll be back on Sunday morning, West Coast time in America, in Los Angeles, California. Until then, please make sure that you uh, subscribe to, rate, review, and share this podcast via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. My name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network.